enjoyed hearing the missionary this morning, and he was a blessing to my heart. I'd be lying if I said I didn't miss the pulpit, though. And uh, don't get worried. You uh, Hopefully you'll get a double portion of the Holy Spirit tonight, but I'm going to try to not give you a double portion of myself. So Psalms 130, uh, beginning in verse number 1, the Bible says, Out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? But there is forgiveness with thee, that thou mayest be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul doth wait, and in his word do I hope. My soul waiteth for the Lord more than they that watch for the morning. I say more than they that watch for the morning. Let Israel hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is plenteous redemption, and he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful for this opportunity. Lord, I feel very aware that I'm, God, I'm not sufficient for the task at hand. But Lord, I'm thankful that my sufficiency isn't of myself, but of you, Lord. And I just pray that you give me a holy boldness and unction. Father, that you guard my words, guard my lips. I pray that everything that I'd say would be pleasing to you. Lord, that I'd not say anything you wouldn't have me to say, but God, that I'd not refrain from saying anything that you would have me to say. And Lord, if there's one here that is lost and undone, needs Christ, I pray they'd be shown their need of Him. If there's one here that's discouraged, I pray they'd be uplifted, one that is haughty, that they'd be abased. But God, when we leave here, I pray more than anything that we would know you in a greater way. Father, that our faith in you would be increased. We'd be helped by your presence, Lord. And we're trusting you with all of these requests. We love you, Lord, and we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Psalms 130, I'm going to come down here if you don't mind. Psalms 130 is one of what we might call the Psalms or Songs of Degrees. You'll see it there in the superscription just underneath uh, the title of this psalm. And these Songs of Degrees, the idea of a degree, they say, denotes a progression, traveling, a journey. They say they were named this because uh, they were written, and by the way, there's 30 of them, and rabbinical writers say, and you've got to take rabbinical writers with a grain of salt sometime. But they say that there were 15 steps that led up to the temple. As they'd travel up these steps, they would sing these psalms back and forth to each other, groups of people would. These psalms present to us in many ways a picture of the progression of the Christian life. Let me say that salvation is an instantaneous thing. Don't you believe that tonight? When you're saved, you're saved in a moment. You're saved by the grace of God. You're completely saved if you're saved at all. But the life that we live in Christ Jesus is a progressive thing. We grow uh, in the Lord and in the grace and knowledge of Him, or at least we ought to. And this passage presents in many ways the journey of the Christian life. But this evening, I'd like to take just a little bit, if I can, a smaller look at this passage. I want us just to look at the first six verses, and I've taken my title from the first handful of words that are spoken, where the psalmist says, Out of the depths have I cried. Out of the depths. This is an interesting phrase to me. Tonight, if you want to write it down, you can. Uh, I want to look at the cry of the psalmist very quickly. I want us to look at the confidence of the psalmist. 
And then we'll take just a moment in closing and look at the calmness of the psalmist. We don't know who wrote this psalm. We might suppose it's David, and we might be supposing right, and we might be supposing wrong. God is silent as to who the writer of this psalm is. But if we could use our imagination for a moment and pretend that it is David, there might be several instances in David's life that we could place the writing of this psalm at, although we do not know who it was written by or when it was written. And we find that David was a man that spent a lot of times in the depths, so to speak. I'd ask you tonight, have you spent some times in the depths before? I have. A place of discouragement, a place of being distraught, a place of being downcast, a place of danger many times. But the psalmist says that it was in this place that I cried unto the Lord. That gives us hope that no matter where we're at in our life, we can always call upon the Lord. I don't know what these depths are. Uh, It could be that David is speaking of the depths of sin that certainly he found himself in whenever he sinned with Bathsheba. Uh, Psalms 51 recounts to us that the heart of David at that time when he had committed adultery with Bathsheba and had Uriah, her husband, the Hittite, killed uh, to cover up that sin. Nathan had come to him, the prophet Nathan. Let me say, I thank God for Nathans in my life that are willing to show me when I'm wrong. We ought all thank God that we have Nathans in our life that are willing to love us enough to not coddle us and to not lie to us and not take the easy road in our friendship, but to tell us when we're wrong, when we've done something wrong. David, Nathan pointed at, at uh, David and said, David, thou art the man. He told the story of the uh, little lamb that had been stolen. and uh, It pictured in many ways the, the hatefulness and meanness that David had exhibited and his sinfulness and Nathan asked him, said, well, David, what would you do to this man? And David went down the laundry list. He said, I'd do this and I'd do this. Don't that just sound like a Christian? Go down through the line and say, well, I'd do this, 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 and this. But it all changes when the Holy Spirit says, thou art the man. It all changes then, doesn't it? Nathan looked at him and said, David, you've done this. You've sinned. You've taken away that which was precious to Uriah. You've slain that which was precious. Uh, You've taken and robbed him of his wife. And you've slain him and committed murder. And David certainly was in the depths of sin. Let me say that each and every one of us, whenever we got saved, we got saved out of the depths of sin. You say, I wasn't that deep in sin. If you were born in sin, I'll tell you how deep in sin you were, deep enough to die and go to hell. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You say, that means me? Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. That means you. Just like it means me. Just like it means each and every person that's been born in this world. Now, you may say, I don't believe that. You can call God a liar if you wish to. Uh, But the Bible says, yea, let God be true and every man a liar. It doesn't matter if you deny the Word of God. The Word of God is still true. And the Bible teaches that you were born in sin and I was born in sin. And certainly God uh, looked on us when we were in the depths of sin. You know, the truth of the matter is, you may say, I was a pretty good person. You would have still went to the same devil's hell that Adolf Hitler went to, presumably. You would have gone to the same devil's hell that the worst rotten sinner, that the worst convict, that the worst awful person that you've ever thought of would go to. The truth of the matter is, when you miss the mark, you've missed the mark. We were in the depths of sin. I'm thankful that I was able to cry unto God from the depths of sin, aren't you? Isn't it an amazing thing that God had to send His Son to a cross on Calvary, had to pay the sin debt for all of mankind for us to have redemption, 
had to literally bridge heaven and earth and open the door to heaven, hang His Son upon a cross. And all we have to do is cry unto the Lord. Call upon the name of the Lord, the Word of God says, and thou shalt be saved. I'm thankful that we can call on the name of the Lord if we're in the depths of sin and being lost. But let me say that I'm thankful also that as a believer, when I sin, you say, you sin? I say, yes, I sin. Amen? You sin, I sin. We all do. You say, I don't sin. Well, maybe nobody's told you, but you do. You sin. We all sin. Uh, My old preacher used to say, uh, let me just ask your spouse about that. They'll let me know. Amen? And when I sin and when I mess up, and I do mess up and I do fail, and there's times that I look at my life and I, I say, oh my, Toby, how'd you get into this mess that you're in? How'd you get this far away from the Lord? Somebody's already got happy. They're running an aisle. Look at that. Glory to God. Boy, you can't beat that. Hey, at least little ones will run when you preach and not only when you sing. Amen? But uh, uh, I look at my life sometimes and think, oh, what a mess, Toby, you've got yourself in. Here you are, a preacher of the Word of God, a pastor, and how could you mess up and do what you've done? But the truth is, you found yourself in those places too. For we all have, when we've done wrong, you know, sin is an addictive thing. Did you know that? Did you know that sin is an addiction and serving God is an addiction as well? Paul uh, spoke of being addicted to the ministry. I bet you didn't know addicted was a Bible word, but read your Bible. In the book of, I believe, 2 Corinthians, uh, he talks about being addicted to the ministry. And sin is an addictive thing. It always takes you farther than you want to go, deeper than you want to plunge, costs you more than you want to pay. I promise you, believer, sin will take you down a dark road. But I'm so thankful that with all the messing up that I can do in my life, you know the way out? You know the way out? Heavenly Father, Lord, I've messed up again. I've sinned again. You say, you're telling me God will forgive you after all the times you've messed up? He sure will. And let me tell you why. Because He doesn't forgive me for me anyway. The Bible says we ought to forgive one another even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. I'm thankful when we're in the depths of sin we can call on the Lord. What about other depths though? Those aren't the only depths. You know, there's plenty of people that live for God and wind up in the depths as well. And it's not the depths of sin, but what are the depths of sorrow? Certainly David could speak about the depths of sorrow, couldn't he? Uh, David, so far as we know, uh, buried at least three of his children. Uh, he buried uh, the little baby that was a product of Bathsheba. He buried Absalom, his son, and another son that escapes my mind at the moment. Uh, David buried many loved ones, buried many friends. And you know, death is a part of this life. And it's a sorrowful thing when we lose someone. Maybe it was sorrow over his children. You know, children are a blessing of the Lord. They're the heritage of the Lord. The Bible says they're an heritage from the Lord. Blessed is the man that hath his quiver full. But don't it hurt when the arrow goes the wrong direction? Don't it hurt when they go the wrong way? You've done everything you can to raise them right. You know, I, I think the only person that'll hurt you more than you hurt your parents is probably your kids. The fact is, sometimes we get sorrowful over our children. What do we do when we get in a place like that? Sometimes our heart breaks for those that have served God and have turned aside. I think many of us could sit in our mind and name a few Demases that we've known that have forsaken us having loved this present world. And that causes sorrow in our hearts. Uh, Maybe it's a sorrow that no one knows about, that no one could identify with. 
Maybe it's a sorrow that should this preacher stand and give scenario after scenario for hours upon hours, give millions of different scenarios and try to identify there's a pain in your heart that I do not know. But I'm thankful there's one that does know that pain in your heart. The Bible says that we have a high priest who's been tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. He's a faithful high priest, the book of Hebrews tells us. And there's nothing that you have been through that he's not been through. You say, boy, that'd be good if I could just reach him. How do I reach him? How do I get to that high priest? How do I get to this man that can heal my hurts and comfort me and bind up my broken heart? Out of the depths, the psalmist said, I cried unto the Lord. Aren't you thankful that the Bible says and talks about the high priest that can heal all our sorrows and all our angst. And what does the Bible then say? It says, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace. The Bible says, let us draw near with full assurance. It could have been the depths of sorrows. could have been the depths of suffering that David was battling with. Certainly David suffered in his life. Uh, David lived to a pretty ripe old age and the Lord always took care of him. But certainly David had his nights that he spent in the caves. He had his nights that he spent suffering. Cast out from the people whom he had been anointed to be king over. The king, Saul, was uh, persecuting David and sought to kill him. And here was a king, he described it this way. He said, I am this day uh, a weak though anointed king. And certainly David suffered in his life. Physical malady and physical heartache. And I'd wonder if maybe you've suffered physically too. You know, I believe that physical suffering is one of the greatest blessings of the Lord, but it's also one of the greatest tools of the devil. And you're the one that decides which one it's going to be. I've said often whenever I was visiting at a hospital or praying with someone, that every time there is a physical battle, there is a spiritual battle that takes place as well. Because Satan seeks those opportunities to discourage and distract us from serving God. And Satan comes along to some poor old saint laying in that sick bed, laying in a hospital, and says, you're not really saved. And that saint any other day of the week would have told you they knew they could tell you the time, the place, they could tell you things God had done in their life, but there they lay in fear and torment as Satan tries to bombard them. Certainly, whenever we're sick, we can get our minds off the Lord. And sometimes the message comes back that the journey is too great for thee as it was for Elijah. We have a choice at that point. We can do like Elijah tried to do. You know what Elijah tried? You ever had one of them days? It's usually a Monday, isn't it? But one of them days where you just say, I'm just going to lay down and die. Any of you ever said that before? I'm just going to lay down in my bed. I'm going to cover up. I'm going to turn the ceiling fan on. I'm going to get me something to drink. I'm just going to die. I'm just going to lay there and die. That's all there is to it. You know what Elijah said? Elijah said, I'm just going to lay here and die. The angel came, and I don't know, maybe I'm mean-spirited. I imagine this. The, the, the Bible talks about the angel reaching out and touching. I kind of imagine the angel went, get up, you know. Elijah got up, and he fed him some angel food, some of that angel food cake, amen. And uh, Elijah said, boy, that was good. And he laid back down to die again. You know, a lot of times, even after God has lifted us up, we still try to lay down and die on him. We woke him up again said, the journey's too great for thee. How do you deal with that? Well, Elijah made the long journey down to Mount Sinai, down to the place where the law of God had been given. He climbed up on the mountain. God alone, it was nobody but, but him, he thought. 
And then God began to manifest Himself to him. He asked him this question. He said, Elijah, what doest thou here? Boy, how often have you ever asked yourself that when you go into your prayer closet? What am I really doing here? Whenever you start crying unto the Lord, what am I really doing here? He said, Elijah, what are you doing here? Oh, and he went down the laundry list. He said, Lord, these are my grievances. You know, and he went down and named them all off. The Lord came, sent a fire by his way. The Bible says that the Lord wasn't in the fire. And sent an earthquake by his way. And the Lord wasn't in the earthquake and a great wind and so on and so forth. And then God sent a still, small voice that spoke to Elijah's heart. He said, why did God do that? Because he wanted Elijah to understand that regardless of the turmoil of his circumstances, God was still present in his life. You may be in the midst of suffering like I can't identify with, but can I tell you that in the depths of suffering, you can cry unto the Lord. We see the depths, but what's the desire? Look again at this passage with me at the second verse. What does the psalmist want? It says, Out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord. Verse 2 says, Lord... Hear my voice. Let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. The psalmist says, all I want is for God to hear me. That's all I want. You know, there's people all over this world that that's what they want. They just want God to hear them. There's people that go and pray to uh, statues in places like Hindu and Eastern countries and pray and worship before these statues and bring drink offerings and meal offerings, give to these statues to try to get that statue to hear them. There's people that will go into confessional booths every Saturday all around this city and all over the world and talk to a priest and confess their sins, take a rosary and pray. Why? They want God to hear them. There's people like Martin Luther, the reformer. And by the way, Martin Luther was, was not a separatist or a Protestant. He was a reformer. He wanted to reform the Catholic Church. I don't know if you've ever been in a Lutheran church, but it's basically soft Catholicism. Martin Luther spent untold numbers of hours on his knees praying before God. He would crawl up and down large stone staircases trying to harm himself. In fact, it's said that he did things to his body that permanently debilitated him, trying to appease for his own sinfulness and trying to get God to hear him. And it was one day that Martin Luther read that beautiful text in the book of Galatians, the just shall live by faith. You know what Martin Luther came to the conclusion of? He said, if I just accept Christ by faith, I've got the ear of God. I can pray and God can hear me. We find, though, in this passage that the psalmist never really gets an answer. He's in these depths and he's crying out to the Lord. And his great desire is that the Lord would hear him. We find, though, he did not get a conclusion to the matter. He did get a confidence. Look at verse number 3. The Bible says, If thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? But there is forgiveness with thee, that thou mayest be feared. Verse 5 says, I wait for the Lord. My soul doth wait, and in His word do I hope. We start off this chapter talking about the depths and crying. And by verse 5, the psalmist is speaking of hope. What's changed? 
All of a sudden, he has a confidence that the Lord is going to hear him. All of a sudden, he has a confidence that he's got hold of the horns of the altar and touched heaven and made contact with God. Where does this confidence come from? I want you to notice first off the basis for this confidence. He makes a doctrinal statement. You've got to look for those doctrinal statements in the Word of God. You don't have to look far. They're everywhere. But you need to pay attention to doctrinal statements. They're important. Look again at verse number 3. And look at the basis. He makes a statement. He says, If thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? That first Lord in all caps always in your Bible denotes the name of Jehovah, the national name of God to Israel. It speaks of the personality of God, the individuality of God. Uh, that second Lord that's referenced, though, has the idea of a master in his life. And so he speaks about God and he says, God, if thou shouldest mark iniquities, then he says, my master, who shall stand? In other words, he's addressing him both as God and as judge. As the one that has the government of his life. And the statement he makes is this. He says, if I've got to measure up to God's standard, how am I ever going to do it? You know, that's the great confliction of humanity. How can we be as good as God? That's why the Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've talked about what the glory of God is. It's always synonymous with the presence of God or the person of God. So when the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, it's not saying you're worse than your neighbor or you're worse than your co-worker or you're worse than your family members or you're worse than the drunk down the street, but it's saying that you are worse than God is. You don't measure up to His standard. You don't measure up to His level of holiness. And certainly, there'd be nobody in this room I would feel confident. You may say, I'm better than my friends. You may say, I'm better than my co-workers. I'm better than my family. But I don't know any man that is short of insanity that would say, I'm better than God is. The psalmist says there's an unattainable standard here. And so if by my own merit I'm to enter into the presence of God, how can I do it? Lord, who would stand? Who could stand? Who could be as good as you, God? How am I going to meet this standard? We see the basis of this confidence is not founded in His ability. But I want you to look at verse number 4. It says, but. A lot happens in that little word, but. It says, if thou, Lord, markest iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? Here's the unattainable law. Here's the standard that God has given that none of us can meet. But it says, there is forgiveness with thee, that thou mayest be feared. There's a transition that takes place there. Here the psalmist is saying, I can't measure up. But in just a few short breaths, he says, but I have forgiveness. Can I tell you where that forgiveness comes from? (laughs) Can I tell you that that forgiveness is not found in a church? Maybe a good church. I like to think we have a good church. I wish more people thought that. Amen? (laughs) I think we've got a good church. I'll be honest. Maybe it's because I'm the pastor, you know, and every crow thinks his crow's the blackest. But I look around and I think, I don't know why more people don't come. Don't you think that sometimes? I think that sometimes. After a while, I just figure they must not like Brandon. But that's what I tell myself when I go to sleep at night. I think we've got a good church. But can I tell you that there's as much saving power within the walls of Wall Ridge Baptist Church as any other church in town, and it can't save you a bit? That's not going to cut it, man. That's not going to save you. 
You know why? Because the Bible doesn't say the wages of sin is going to church. I can baptize you. Let me tell you something, friend. If you go into that water, a dry sinner, you know what you're going to come up? A wet sinner. That water can't save you. I know there's all kinds of churches all over this land that tell you that you have to uh, be baptized to be saved. And others will even tell you that baptism in and of itself can save you. But can I tell you that there is not a bit of saving or salvific power within the waters of any baptistry? Not a bit. I don't care if you're dunked, sprinkled, or super soaked. It won't save you from hell. It's not found in that. It's not found in good works. The Bible doesn't say the wages of sin is being a real good guy. The Bible does not say that the wages of sin is loving your family. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. We find that in the depths, He's in a place where He could perish. And though He may still be in the depths physically by the end of this chapter, He's not in the depths spiritually. What happened? Somebody else took His place in the depths. The Bible says that the Lord has descended into the lower parts of the earth. He bore your sin. He bore your sin debt. He paid your price. Now, here's the wonderfulness about it. The Bible says that thou mayest be feared. We see a blessedness in this confidence. His confidence comes in the finished work of Christ on Calvary. Let me say, it's not just for unsaved people either, but that's for saved people. I said it just a moment ago. Why does God forgive me? He forgives me because of the person of Christ. You say, but I've messed up. Yeah, you were messed up when God found you. Listen, if you've never been saved, you're messed up now. You say, I don't feel messed up. Well, you're messed up. One of these days you'll know you're messed up. You need Christ. You were messed up when God found you. You were in the miry clay when God found you and picked you up and set your feet on a, a solid rock and established your goings. You were messed up then. When you mess up, when you fail, when you do something wrong like you will do, like I will do, it's only in the person of Christ that God can forgive us. See, He paid the debt. God owes it to Him to forgive. That's why the Bible says He's just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We see the blessedness is that now there is a relationship that can be maintained, that thou mayest be feared. Let me tell you, and this is very simple, and I think we need to have more of this in in Christianity today. If God is not real, there's no point in serving Him. Is that not simple? If, if the Holy Spirit is not real, there's no sense in doing the right thing. If when we come to church, if we're not coming to meet with God, we might as well stay home. What's the psalmist saying? He's saying, God, if you couldn't forgive me, there'd be no point in me fearing you. What does the Bible say if in this life only we have hope? We are of all men most miserable. The Bible says, let's just eat, drink, and be merry if Christ be not risen. If this thing, Christianity, is not real, then there's no sense in playing church. But if it is real, it's doubly wrong to play church. The fact of the matter is the psalmist says, because of the work of Christ on Calvary, I have a relationship with God. You see, God pulling me out of the depths is not based upon my ability or my righteousness, but upon the finished work of Christ on Calvary. I can fear God. I can love God. I can have a relationship with God. Why? Because He forgives me. And if God didn't forgive us, there wouldn't be a one of us would make it a day and keep our salvation. That's the thing that strikes me. People say, I never sin. To say that you never sin is to say that nothing you do is sinful. 
That means everything you say is pure and holy. Everything you think is pure and holy. Everywhere you go is the best place you could go, and everything you do is the best thing that you can do. And the fact is, all of us would have to admit, I fall short, I fall short, I fall short. But I'm thankful that even when we mess up, if we're in the depths of sin, He'll forgive us. If we're in the depths of sorrow, He'll encourage us. If we're in the depths of suffering, He'll raise us up. The psalmist says, I was in the depths and I cried unto the Lord. I want you to notice he goes a little farther. Look at verse number 5. We see the calmness of the psalmist. Something changes in his disposition. I wait for the Lord. My hope doth wait, and in His Word do I hope. So we see that in the midst of this sorrow, there is a status that the psalmist has. There is a state of existence. What's he doing? He's doing something. What's he doing? He said, I wait. You know, it's hard to wait. It's hard to wait. I'm an impatient person. I'm so impatient, I don't even spell it with the last T. Amen? That's how impatient I am. I'm just impatient. That's all I am. I'm that impatient. I do not like for things to lag and to drag on. You'd say, you don't preach like that. Yeah, I know, but... But that's the truth. I I don't like for things to drag on. My wife gets aggravated at me sometimes because we tell stories two different ways. And she tells stories the scenic route. I tell it the interstate. Amen? She'll be telling me a story sometimes. Bless her heart. I don't know why she puts up with me, but sometimes I'll say, Get on with it! You know? I wonder if she don't just slap me. She's going to start doing that to me now. (laughs) I'm an impatient person. But let me tell you something. Waiting is a part of life. Do you know why? Because if our instruction comes from the Lord and He hasn't given it, then all we can do is mess things up by moving. I'm interested, and I'm not going to preach on it, but if you were to look over at uh, Psalms 134, just a page or two over in your Bible, I'm sure, it says, Behold, bless ye the Lord, all ye servants of the Lord, which by night stand in the house of the Lord. Sometimes when you're in the darkest of night... Well, let me just put it very simple, something you can relate to. You ever got up in the middle of the night start walking through the house, stub your foot, fall, break your ankle, set your hair on fire? You ever had that happen? Maybe that's just me. I've been there. You can get hurt walking around in the dark. You can get hurt moving when you don't know where to go. The psalmist is in the pit. He doesn't know what to do. So you know what he does? He does nothing. He does what he knows is right to do. He knows he does what he can do. But ultimately, he's waiting on the Lord to intervene. Activity is not always a good thing. We find that activity was the priority for Samuel when, or for Saul when Samuel was late coming to him to offer a sacrifice. Saul said, I've got all these people standing around waiting to go out to battle. They're going to get slaughtered. I've got to do something. And so he pressed himself upon the priesthood, went inside and offered a sacrifice when it was not his job to do it. And that was the nail in the coffin for his kingdom. You know what Saul should have done? He just should have waited. There's no shame in the Christian life in waiting if you're waiting on the Lord. And sometimes the Lord makes you wait. The psalmist says in Psalms 23, that He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. Just because we can make a decision doesn't mean we should. Just because we can do something does not mean we should unless we have expressed direction from the Lord. What does the psalmist say? He says, I'm just waiting on God to intervene. 
Some of you have kids, you have family members, you have loved ones, you have co-workers. And they need the Lord. They really do. I mean, they don't need church. They don't need uh, a prayer life. They need the Lord in their life. And you pray and you pray and you pray. Sometimes you feel like praying is not enough. But can I say that after you've prayed, many times the right thing to do is to wait and continue to pray. The status of the psalmist, he says, I'm just waiting on God to intervene. You think God... Sometimes we think God's, God's wristwatch runs slow. You know that? Sometimes we think because it's not set to our time that it's running slow. Friend, if we'd learn to set our wristwatches by His timetable, we'd be a lot better off instead of trying to get Him to set His by ours. Just because God's not operating when and how we think we ought to, that doesn't make Him less of God. And we need to get to a place where we're confident in God's judgments and in His righteousness. He always does the right thing. The Bible says that His judgments are always right. Nothing that God does that's ever wrong. So if you're waiting on the Lord, just keep on waiting until He tells you else to do. But how, how can you know? How can you know you're doing the right thing? Well, we see the status of uh, this psalmist, but we see the source of his strength. Look what it says in the end of verse 5. What's he hoping in? He said, and in his word do I hope. We sing the song sometimes. Every promise in the book is mine. Every chapter, every verse, every line. All the blessings of his word divine. Every promise in the book is mine. And if we were being honest, we'd have to sing, and I don't know a single one. Let me tell you something. If you're not studying your Bible, you will not have faith because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And to be in the depths and wait on the Lord is an act of faith. You know what the natural inclination of a human being is when there's danger? To run, to move, to get out, to try to do something. Psalmist says, I'm in the pit, I'm in the depths, but I'm waiting. What am I waiting on? I'm waiting on the Lord to fulfill His Word. I'm waiting on the Lord to keep His promise. The Bible says, oh, it was David. You know, David was a pretty smart guy. I'd like to sit down and talk with him for a while. You know, actually, I can. <laughs> but he said, I, I have been young and now I am old. Yet have I never seen the righteous forsaken nor their seed begging bread. David says, I've seen a lot of things in my life. I've seen giants fall. I've seen kingdoms rise. I've seen great kings fall into sin. And I've seen a dead dog named Mephibosheth lifted out of the dumps of Lodabar and seated at the king's table. I've seen a lot of things. But one thing that I've never seen in my life is one of God's children go hungry. Never seen that happen. You ought to know looking at us Baptist preachers, that ain't going to happen, amen? The fact is, God has promised He'd provide for His children. Uh, The Bible says that the Lord is our shield and our buckler and the Missionary this morning named a lot of those. His name is a high tower. We run into it and we are safe. God is the one that protects us and that watches over us. We either believe He's going to do that or we don't. We can have all the protection in the world. I'm, I, I'm, I'm one of these that has a license to carry a gun in this state. I want to ask you to raise your hand if you are, because one of these days the government's going to get hold of this DVD and lock me in jail. But I'm going to spare you. You won't have to worry about that. But I'm one of those that is licensed in the state of Tennessee to carry a firearm. I believe it would be wise for every single person to exercise that right, myself. We don't exercise rights. They're taken away from us. You know that? But my confidence is not in that gun. If you saw the way I'd shoot, you'd know why. 
We have health insurance. We got retirement. We got 401k. And you know what? None of that means a thing. This world could turn upside down in a heartbeat. What's your confidence in? In this world, what's your confidence in? Psalmist says, My hope is in the Word of God. That God's good to Israel and to all them that trust in Him. That God's going to take care of me. We see the source. I want you to notice there's some suspense in this verse. I'm going to close with this. I know I've not done any backflips. You forgive me. (laughs) But look at verse number 6. He says, My soul waiteth for the Lord more than they that watch for the morning. I say more than they that watch for the morning. idea in this verse is that of a person that's keeping a watch. And in those times, they would put people on the city walls and they would keep watch during the night. And the psalmist says, I'm kind of like that fellow that's got the last watch before the morning. They always say that the coldest hour of the night is just before the dawn. I'm in a dismal situation and no doubt as that man that's seated upon that wall is watching what is the one thing that he's hoping for. He's waiting for that sun to begin to rise. That's what he's waiting for. He's watching. Now, is that man idle? No, he's not idle. But he is waiting. That man's doing what he knows to do. He's guarding. He's watching. But he's also waiting for the morning to come. Psalmist says the way that fellow waits for the morning, I wait for the Lord more than he does. You say, why? What's the significance? Well, the significance is the morning ain't going to bring to that fellow what the Lord is going to bring to us. The morning isn't going to change that man's job or his status. The morning isn't going to redeem that man's family or change that man's life. There's a greater expectancy in the psalmist for the Lord to show up and show out in his life and do something mighty. Can I say that if you've ever sat... How many of you have ever done any hunting before? You ever been out before the sun went up hunting? Any of you ever had the sun come up and you didn't know it? No. People always say, I'm afraid I'm going to miss God's will. People do not miss God's will. People choose to disobey God's will. Just like people say, I don't want to miss it when the Lord speaks to my heart. The Lord does not stutter, nor does He whisper. He speaks clearly. Half of the time, when we find ourselves out of God's will, it's because we were too busy doing when we should have been waiting. Listen, I don't know what you're going through tonight, but can I say that the Lord's the answer to it? You may say, I'm not good enough for the Lord to do something in my life. Well, no, maybe you're not, but but Jesus Christ is. If you're saved by the grace of God, then it's in the person of Christ that you stand complete before God. If you're here tonight and you don't know what it is to be saved, you can have all the religion and all the church going and all the baptismals. They can dunk you every single way. They can dump you and dunk you in clear waters and muddy waters and green waters and blue waters and salt water and fresh water. It don't matter what they dunk you in. That's not going to save you. The only thing that could change that psalmist's disposition is the finished work of Christ on Calvary. You tonight can be saved if you've never been saved. If you're in sorrow tonight, you can get help from the Lord. The Lord's here to help you. You know, sometimes we get the notion that if the preacher don't preach on what we're going through, the Lord can't help us. You know that it don't matter whether the preacher's preaching on what you're going through, you can still come down and find help in the Lord. You may say, he didn't touch on what I'm dealing with. It doesn't matter. If you need help from the Lord, you can come down and get it.
You can meet with God. You say, do I have to be at that altar? No, you don't have to be at that altar. But I've never found the altar hurt my spiritual condition. I want you tonight to get from the Lord what you need. I want you to speak to Him. You may have loved ones that you're worried about. They need to be saved. They're in the depths of sin. I want you to come forward and pray for them tonight. You may say, I prayed for them this morning. Did they get saved this afternoon? Then they still need prayer. You may say, I've got loved ones that are away from God. I prayed for them already. Are they close to God? If they're not, why don't you come and pray? Certainly a few more minutes at the TV ain't going to do your loved ones any good, but a few more minutes at the altar might do a world of difference. I want you to get the help from the Lord that you need tonight. Whatever depths that you're in, with their heads bowed, their eyes closed, Heavenly Father, You've been so good to us today. Lord, I'm just humbled that You'd love us. Do something in our hearts. We're so undeserving. But I pray tonight that You continue to do a work in our lives and that any that need help from You would come, would speak to You, would get the encouragement they need from You, Lord. I pray if there's one here that's lost without Christ, You'd show them their need of You. Lord, that they'd be saved before it's everlasting too late. Bless this invitation, Lord, we do pray in Christ's name. Amen. With their